Hello, everybody. Welcome to It's About Time. I am your hostess with the most, Zita, and I'm really excited to be chatting with Julie Savaria today. Um, I'm going to read her bio like I always do and then get into why I wanted her to be a guest um, because I think we're going to have a very rich conversation without putting too much pressure on us. <laughs> but um, I'm really hoping that that's how we ebb and flow and let me just tease everybody with a little bit about you. Welcome, Julie. Um, oh, Julie you. Savaria is the founder of Vindia Savaria Consulting and defines herself as a justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion designer, an equity facilitator, and a global citizen at heart. A biochemist by training, Julie worked in clinical research for five years before completing an MBA from McGill University. It was then that she deepened her exper expertise in social impact and human-centered design thinking and that and the intersectionality of the public, private, and social sectors. Julie worked for innovative and Fortune 500 organizations as well as public institutions to help them further their conversations around racism and implement a sustainable strategy dedicated to all their employees. As such, she founded Bindia Savaria Consulting to help organizations start, deepen, or establish their JEDI strategy or program and JEDI Kids, a platform dedicated to helping caregivers and anyone raise the next generation of inclusive and race, racially mindful children. Julie is a TEDx speaker, a certified integral development coach, and a renowned panelist. She is also the co-chair of the Be Local Quebec chapter, focusing on collective impact and activism as an ambassador for Just For Kids Foundation. Welcome, Julie. Well, thank you. It's always, uh, I always blush when someone reads my bio. How does it feel to hear? I always love that question. Like, how do you feel when, when you get to hear somebody reading your bio? That's a good one because it's true that when you write it or when someone writes it, uh, I mean, they do it from a very objective perspective but when it's you mm -hmm. you're like oh it's true I did that oh it's true I, okay yeah that's true too um I think it just comes with a great sense of uh of pride and accomplishment as well mm -hmm. because sometimes we forget I find um to just give ourselves a good tap on the back saying hey you did great things or you mm -hmm. did good things or you were able to go through this and this challenge mm -hmm. and this is the end result because I mean we all have wonderful accomplished things that we did uh, growing up and you know, diplomas are diplomas, but I find that what is the richness of all of these is experience of the journey going mm -hmm. through them, right? So when you were just mentioning a couple of things, it just, I just remember the journey behind it and yes. how it just molded me to do what I'm doing right now. So right. that was great. And I'm really happy we will be like diving into intuition and knowing when to give and go and let go and start something for sure. But I just want to like back up a moment and say how we actually met. So you and I didn't know each other at all before, but the backstory is, which is part of the experience and the journey, which is why I want to highlight it is um, at my one of my previous employments, I just was kind of hitting a crossroad and not feeling fulfilled anymore and knew that I needed a change. But I really wanted to be smart about it. And what I decided was I would do a few things. One, I wanted to network more internally to see if maybe going to a different department um, would be best for me. 
The next thing was to look for mentors within some of the, the groups that I had already started working with, um, and also join boards or associations. And I felt that was smart and a good thing to do because my friends and I are my friends and I, and we can only help our, each other until we get to a point. I want to be listening to conversations that you know we share on the podcast and other podcasts I listen to and by reading books a lot of people they're like yo you can't be with the same people all the time you need to evolve and you need to always be expanding your network so we're in COVID we're in a space where we're not able to necessarily network traditionally and I wanted to leave my workplace but I didn't want to leave my workplace without having an impact on what my future would be and so I reached out to the McGill Women Alumni Association because I also went to McGill I was leaving McGill as an employer but I also went there as a student so I, I found a really great place to kind of connect and try to meet other people and not just other people but women i found that to be really smart and a great place and so i was linked up with the women alumni association and you're one of the first people i got the chance to talk with and i loved the way the conversation went before you and i even met it was what are you interested in zita how would you like to make your impact be felt and like where would you like to put your energy and so once i got the chance to say those things then they got to fit me with you, right? So we were introduced and I think that that's one thing right away where that in itself was helpful because they're not asking me to align myself with folks that I also don't have an interest in learning. That doesn't mean I'm not open. It means mm -hmm. that like, I also get to put my energy in fostering relationships in places that I also wanna see myself. And I brought up friends because I mean, I'm at a place in my life where I wanna bring everybody with me. I, I think there's seats at every table and I wanna make sure that we're all there. So mm -hmm. if I wanna expand my network, that means I wanna expand everybody's network, which is also why you're on the show today because now this is the seat, this is the table, we're all friends, right? So everybody listening gets to learn about each other and grow. So that's the context in which I met you. Yeah. And our conversation was just really inspiring then. And I'll tell you why it was inspiring. Because what left me that day was, you are going to listen to your true self. And you're going to follow your intuition. And you're going to make it work. And that was just so striking to me. And that's where I want to start. So welcome. And thanks for joining. But how did you feel after our first chat? I love how you bring intuition, uh, intuition, gut feeling, however we want to call it. Um, and I, yes, I do remember that it was a very, um, a very in-depth chat uh, where you were you were at crossroads uh, of well, not even some sort of multiple sorts, and um, and uh, and being. Uh, being a mother of a young child as well uh, is something that we don't often take into account when we take all of these decisions because this is literally part of our environment. Mm -hmm. And myself having two young children, uh, we just started also talking about, okay, well, how do you want to make this work? Um, mm -hmm. And as you said about the impact as well. And I really, I really felt after this conversation that, um, that, you know, not an aha moment, but something just opened, right? Where yeah. after we talked, because and and also just going when thinking about the evolution of the of the conversation, as I went through something similar more than once, <laughs> um, and then I was able to make things uh, to make things happen. Um, 
in some in some ways but what's the hardest part is really about around following your own intuition as you mentioned that gut mm -hmm. feeling right um because we are we are raised and brought um in a society that really really values rational thinking you know mm -hmm. cartesian mindset and to be thrown in there and to sort mm -hmm. of say, hey, you know what? There's also that little voice inside that you should be listening to. And sometimes yeah. we just need another human being to remind us to actually listen to that voice for us to remember. Yeah. Uh, oh, let me let me tune in a little bit. Let me get aligned a little bit with what I'm actually feeling inside because our our intuition and our body will tell us exactly what we need to hear, where we need to go. We just need to be able to recognize when it's our intuition speaking or when it's our ego speaking as well. There are so many different things mm -hmm. that, um, that we tend to just brush to the side um, when, mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you start. But once you start listening to your intuition, your gut feeling, as you know now, it's almost magical. Things just align and then you have those opportunities come up and you're like, yes, this is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody then, thinks that those things are like happenstance or that it's luck or that. Yeah. And it, the thing is, it's not so much luck as it is alignment and it is the universe fulfilling what your intuition is telling you to go towards. It's really interesting, but it's also hard to listen to it because we're told, these messages over and over like you have to go this way it has to be straight every mm -hmm. time yeah. but i don't know and i've never met any one person in my life and i doubt i ever will that has a straight story right everybody's story is winding <laughs> everybody's story is retracted and forces you to rethink things and reflect and then you're propelled forward and i feel like that's the messaging we should be celebrating mm -hmm. but we never get the chance to and yeah. it, and I'm really bothered by that, you know, because there is no straight story. There's no straight line. And that's yeah. where that's how I think we connected that you made some really huge pivots in your life. So can I just go to that place where you were in, in your life where you were working at a corporate organization and something just in your gut was telling you this is no longer serving me? Yeah, I mean, um, when you look, if you just looked at, you know, for example, where I went to school, uh, what are my diplomas, people would never guess that I'm doing what I'm doing right now, right? So if we backtrack, um, I'm actually a scientist by training, as you said, right? So did I'm a master's, right? Everybody's surprised. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, really? Like, yeah. I think it's so cool, but I just didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a master's in uh, in uh, cellular and molecular medicine, um, and I worked in clinical research in children's hospitals for about five years, uh, okay. which was a great uh, a great time of learning about project management, dealing with people as well um, in more sensitive situations sometimes because working in a hospital. Um, but then, I mean. I I started to realize, uh, so I was also getting to know myself that 
I really need to have a little bit of that challenge, a bit of that, uh, of that little push. And when I get bored, mm -hmm. I just don't do good work. And I'm just, I, you know, I, I just stagnate and I hate that. It's a feeling, I feel like, uh, actually one of my friends said it earlier, I feel like I'm wilting, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you don't want to wilt. You want to grow, you want to yes. flourish, you want to thrive. So that was my very first moment where I felt like I was wilting was at that time when I was like, okay, I want to do more. But then people would tell me, well, you need to have 10 years experience or you need to do an MBA and a PMP. I was like, okay, great, I'm going to do that. But then during my MBA uh, at McGill, I was introduced to the world of social impact social entrepreneurship um so this is where i uh, had my second big pivot right okay. so turning away from healthcare and going more into in, into something a little bit broader okay. um i didn't know that it was you know inclusion or equity at that point i called it more like respectful local engagements or respectful uh, engagement, um, depending on the countries where I was going. Uh, well, let's back uh, up a bit and dig yeah. into it. So you're at an organization that is now um, requiring you to travel. Is that what you're trying to say? So actually before that, I did an internship that I thought would be healthcare based, but it was in South Africa. And this is where my mindset started to shift around, okay, okay well, how about interaction with local communities? What does it look like? And after graduation, I worked with that organization that sent me to my internship. Um, and, uh, and it was a B Corp, so a B um, a benefit corporation. Uh, so it's pretty much a stamp of, um, it's a certification for organization, uh, like a for-profit or for-profit for organization, to say that they have good governance, they have a great impact on their environment, um, and they also work on their justice, equity, diversity, and inclusions pillar. Um, okay. So that's what the B Corp certification is, and, and it's so at that organization. That so this I, is all like, pre-BLM movement. This is. Yep. prior to these things so this was yep. already something that i feel like you can <laughs> excuse me buy into because this was something that was already um established as a company value yeah yeah no exactly and and i, and I saw some things uh, when i was doing my work in south africa for example where i was like oh, i'm not sure and then within our organization that's where i started to pivot more towards diversity equity and inclusion right so and this is where i had my there. second my big pivot yeah okay yes. i have some questions there because sometimes we have people listening or a lot of times where folks are listening and thoughts of how do you make change within the organization you're in or how do i as the person i'm evolving into turn to the organization i'm in and have that mirror where i'm at is that because a lot of people think like oh i'm changing i have to go like I have mm -hmm. to leak. But yeah. the first thing I'm hearing is as you started to shift within your belief system and what your interests were, more so your interest than belief system, you started to shift in the organization. How did th that conversation even get off the ground? Yeah, so I was very lucky to work with a very forward thinking organization uh, called Mzingo. Uh, shout out to them uh, because they really allowed me to explore different interests, right? And within my responsibilities, uh, at the time I was the academic partnership lead for North America, 
Um, and sometimes I was going on those uh, programs that happened in Peru, in South Africa, et cetera. They, they really pushed me and encouraged me to look at different facets of what we know now as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the B Corp movement was actually pretty innovative in that regard as well, is that they had a pillar dedicated to that. Now it's more like there's more things going in there. Um, but I knew that being at a B Corp, it was something important. But then after, um, after they really allowed me to explore it further, that's when I decided to go through it full time. But the very first thing to do is to first identify what mm -hmm. you're really passionate about before you go and talk to the people that, I don't know, depending on the kind of organization you have, but mm -hmm. you have a supervisor, for example, to just make sure that those channels of communication are open um, and that there is a certain level of transparency. Um, because if you don't have a relationship with the with the supervisor or decision makers in some in some in some instances, then it's really, really hard to cultivate that uh, that intrapreneurship mm -hmm. spirit within organization. Um, because not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes yeah. you can love your organization, you but you want to do an, an intrapreneur. intrapreneur. Exactly. Yeah, right. So this is really communication for me. That was what really guided me towards diversity, equity, inclusion. They, uh, you know, they, they asked me to do um, uh, trainings. Right. That was the very first thing I did to look at the policies they had for B Corp, etc. Uh, and this is when I really was okay. Um, I was pregnant with my second one. I knew I was going on mat leave and I thought that it was a perfect segue to jump into it full time. And so I feel like we're we're kind of glazing over why this was so imperative for you. Were you starting to feel that this was more your calling? Were you starting to feel that um, talking more about diversity and inclusion and in organizations was something that you saw yourself doing or giving trainings internally? How did you know? Outside of listening to your intuition, how did you know that this was the right move for you? Yeah. So I was doing a lot of workshops and facilitating leadership development sessions. So I was already in there um, and I knew that I loved that interaction with people. I already mm -hmm. knew that and I discovered that in like during my time with Mzingo because I had to do so many whether it was in person or virtual, actually, because they were spread all across the world. So um, working with Zoom, I did that like years and years ago before uh, before the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. um, so this was one factor that I knew was very important for me. The second factor um, was that I knew I always wanted to have this, not I wouldn't say international lens to it, but something that touched on... Um, on humanity equity, right? And even uh, in your bio, you speak about being a global citizen, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Well, so it's something I am, that's a pillar of yours. It is very important to me. Uh, my my mother was Senegalese. My father is a white Quebecer. Uh, so I I have I was raised with those both of those cultures, and I had the great great opportunity, and great chance to be able to live in multiple African countries, but also to live in Canada quite quite equally. Right. Okay. Uh, when I like between my childhood and teenage years. So I understood those different dynamics mm -hmm. and I didn't I didn't realize how much it impacted me right. until I went to MZGO, started facilitating and watching different interactions with, with local cultures. organization, right. etc. And South Africa is like a perfect microcosm of 
what it looks like when you have the occidental world colliding with, uh, with I guess, uh, the overarching uh, mm. African, sub-Saharan, I should say, African uh, world as well. So it was a very good, uh, a very good terrain or like chance to see, okay, and it, it kind of just un unlocked. And I was like, okay, I like facilitation. I know I'm really interested into everything that has to do with racial equality and equity. Mm -hmm. um, and diversity, equity, inclusion had started coming through because, you know, we had we had um, a Trevin Martin's murder that occurred, mm -hmm. had Tamir Rice as well. And mm -hmm. I started writing some blog on it uh, even beforehand. I was saying how Canada had an angel complex. I was already doing the work, but I right. didn't know that, it, that I could actually do it full time. And at some point, I just decided that I felt the most excited when I was doing that work versus okay. the other. So then that that's that moment, right? Like that's that friction point. That's where yep. the, the, the plates are moving internally where you're thinking it's time to move on to something. Now you just said you were pregnant with your second. What's that conversation like when internally and then with your support, when you're saying to yourself, I'm about to go on leave, I think I want to cut ties or start my own thing. Mm. How do you get there? Because, and I'll, I'll add to it, because it is very, very well documented that most women, when they're on maternity leave, that's when they're mm -hmm. questioning so many things, right? Yeah. Do yeah. I want to go back full time? Do mm -hmm. I want to go back to what I'm in? Do I want to, like what, all of these things kind of hit, it's very normal. So how did you know that it was something for real versus just thoughts versus leaving security? Like, I want to talk about all of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, do you have three hours? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no. So that's really interesting because before I went on, when I decided to leave, if you were to ask anybody, they would say, oh, Julie is not an entrepreneur. Julie is a good employee. She's really, she's a good performer. And that's what I, I intrinsically believe too, right? I really thought that um, I, I didn't want to have all that headache of uh, looking for clients and all of that. And I kind of had a plan already um, when I decided, to, when I had that conversation first and decided to say, okay, well, I'm going to leave. Um, I, I, you know, I just, so I'm doing my network, speaking, say, saying it out loud to a lot of different people. So then at some point, an acquaintance of mine who became friend, like, who's now a friend, uh, she was like, hey, you know what? I think we can work together. Uh, so when are you going on mat leave, et cetera? So I was supposed to work with that person. But okay. then that was in 2019. So then the pandemic hit right like after. So then all the plans crumbled. So I was like, oh gosh, I'm not going to be employed by someone now. So let me think about what I'm supposed to do. So did you go on that leave or you left your employer? So, okay. Yeah. I should have actually mentioned that. That employer is actually US based. So okay. their mat leave per se is like what? Six weeks, six weeks, like six, six or eight weeks for them, which is quite good actually for the US, uh, six to eight weeks. So I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to go on the Canadian one anyways, uh, the governmental one, sorry, uh, it was better. And anyways, I knew that I was not coming back. So we had already made plans. So I actually left my employer knowing that with the thought that I was going to get hired a couple of months into my mat leave. And your employer also knew 
that you were leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They okay. knew. They knew. Okay. They knew. Um, I because I felt like a like a hypocrite, like like an imposter at some point because I was like. I really don't want to do what I'm doing. And I know that they need that specific skill set, but I'm not helping them move forward. Mm-hmm. And I did want, and for me, that was and even from my first, first story about when I was in clinical research and I was like, oh, I'm getting bored. You're I didn't want to get, yeah, I didn't get to that point because then there's resentment and they make, make mistakes and it's just not fair for any of the parties. So as soon as I started feeling like I had hit my maximum, potential for professional development and what I wanted, I had a conversation with one of the co-founders. Um, and this is, and then we decided on a plan. Uh, it was a hard moment. It was emotional because they gave me so much, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think it was probably one of the bravest moves that I made. Uh, so I want to take a minute in there for a second, because we touched on having an open channel of communication. We've also, you've also touched on understanding what it is that you want intrinsically and understanding how to work towards it. But why this is so key is because these takeaways are important for somebody who's listening right now and is like, I'm no longer motivated. I don't really know which way to go. These things are motivating to me, but how do I leave it? And I feel what's what's also of note is that, you know, the world is always in a level of turmoil, right? Like inflation is super high, um, layoffs are happening, but that those outside factors are always happening in industry. So a lot of the times we stop ourselves and think that there's a quote unquote perfect time, right? And from what it sounds like, you're not saying that. You're like, this just wasn't serving me. So I got to let it go. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to share um, something that one of my strategy strategy professor at McGill taught me, um, the professor Lifson. He said that, you know, so you have the ROI, so return on investment. But what people don't understand with a lot of things happening in life is that you have an ROL, a return on luck. And not luck just, oh, I'm just a lucky person, but luck on, on, on the luck that you've worked for. And what I mean by that is all the networking that you've done, like what you did, Zita, right? All the, uh, the way that you talk about what you want to do in all the different circles that you're into. Having those conversations with people that you think are maybe doing something that you really like or that you're interested into. Um, and really putting everything in place or starting to have those conversations so that eventually, well, guess what? There's going to be a return on luck, right? And so, yeah, we true. can look at that as manifesting. We can look at that we as the ret- universe. It could yeah. be in so many ways, yeah. But for business people, let's just say return on luck. Uh, it, it just sounds better. Um, but I, I really don't believe that there's necessarily a right time to for for that for you to do it but you still have to take into account what's happening in the world what what is the economic social political context of what mm-hmm. you want to do mm-hmm. because sometimes people know that they're unhappy but they have no idea why they mm-hmm. don't know what actually they check in. yeah they don't know what lights them up they don't know what what they could work on for hours um and that they would forget it and and sometimes you don't find it necessarily uh up until you try a, a, like a bunch of things Right. So I think not only doing that, having, you know, that those conversation with people and being able to make those brave moves, uh, maybe the step even before all of that is to do that internal work as well. 
Um, I mean, if you have the the incentive and you have the financial situation to do it, we I mean, tell people just quit and they're like, well, I'll figure it out after. But sometimes if you're not works. like that, yeah, well, sometimes that does work. I've seen sometimes. people like, you know, I don't even have rent for the next month, but I'll figure it out. Was that your situation? Did you take time to kind of have a nest egg? Um, so that way you had a few months buffer. How did you know that you can walk into that without extra anxieties because you're also, you know, working at being a mom? Yeah, well, this is when being in Canada is so great because mm -hmm. I knew that I would fall under the maternity leave uh, for uh, for Canada and Quebec. And, that's, and that combined with my husband's salary was enough to cover us plus the savings that I did uh, prior to that, right? Um, so I was able to figure it out during that time period. Um, and then when COVID hit, government were, were giving us even more incentives, right? Uh, to be able to help people. Mm -hmm. So that really gave me a very comfortable cushion. So call it luck, call it like just a good timing, good the alignment. Osmosis of it all, yeah. Osmosis of it all, I don't know, it's just yeah. like, that that just happened and uh and honestly my my business just started off a conversation that i had on a walk that i had okay. but What's i was just let's do it, it like it, it was it was a derivative of me being vocal about what i wanted to do right Love so it. i kept That's talking a consistent message right there girlfriend this is a message right. yeah. i just talked to anybody who were having conversations with me Right. Um, whether it was me having lunch with a with a professor that I worked with, me going back to saying hey to career services at university, or uh, people that I knew that worked in uh, in industries or companies that I like, or just my friends' friends, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, and I was just saying I'm not sure exactly what I want to do. That's literally what I said. But I know that I want to work in um in, in the in the field with like working with the concept of inclusion diversity um in you know international development maybe i was really going along those uh, along those lines and that was one of my former classmates and i was just feeling her and i'm like yeah you know i think i really want to go deeper into that thing you know like diversity equity inclusion diversity inclusion i i, I don't like to say diversity inclusion i'd like say diversity equity inclusion i don't know let me think about it and then she was like well actually maybe i could hire you and this was this was the start of it all she was my first contract and then i started being more vocal on it on linkedin and it just snowballed and it was just word of mouth from there because I had spoken about it enough that people kind of remembered what I said. And then when they saw that I was actually doing the work, that it just snowballed. So how do you come into an organization? You're consulting. So company X calls you up and says, we don't have um, a DEI or, you know, a, a diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, word it, whatever Otherwise. you want, um, plan. Can you come and sort us out? How do you leave knowing the work is going to get done? Or can you ever really know the work <laughs> is going to get done? Uh, that's a tricky question. Um, and this is something that I decided from the get-go with my organization. I said from the beginning that I, I would be choosing who I would be working with. And it didn't matter if some month I had zero sales. It was very important for me to work with organizations that would actually do the work. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to waste energy on people that wanted to have it as a checklist on their HR list, mm -hmm. uh, on their training list. 
And I mean, I did some missteps. I will be the first to admit it. Because sometimes right. you think that organizations are ready, but they're not. But the way that I evaluated it is really just like, okay, let's let's jump on a conversation and really understand what you are expecting of me first. Uh, and then from there, I would know if one, they were willing to invest, if they had a budget for it, at what stage were there. Uh, and if they were at the very beginning, then it's my job to kind of start it all off and then give them a plan on over two years and then and then make sure that things were happening, for example. So I'm not in implementation, but what I would do, I would check in with them mm-hmm. um, just to say, hey, how are things going? Uh, what's happening? I mean, I had lunch uh, with uh, one of my former clients today, right? Just to say, just to see if um, like, well, what is happening? Do they, do they need help? Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, part of the work also, I think if you want to work in that field is that you need to love humans, right? In all their imperfections, um, you need to mm-hmm. love working with people and you need to want to help them develop that, um, that that uh, that humanity essence a little bit, that ability to have those hard right. conversations. Room, so away from the organizational element, yeah, yeah, element. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, because this is when this is where when organizations fail. When they look at it like, oh yeah, we're gonna do a diversity, equity, inclusion uh, like initiative in the organization. We're gonna have a committee. We're gonna name a chief uh, diversity and inclusion officer. Uh, we're gonna dedicate some funds to I don't know whatever which cause. We're gonna do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But it's if they lofty. don't, yeah. But but you know, like all of those things need to happen. But ultimately. It needs also to happen at the, at the individual level, the human level. There needs to be some exchange. It needs to be the inner work of, okay, well, I understand that I may have been racist at this time. Mm-hmm. I understand that I may have shown uh, a very strong bias that have impacted uh, someone at some right. point during uh, during their career or during their trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you really need to talk to the individual because they're the one who are making up this organization. So if you just give this lofty, like you said, this lofty goal and this lofty appearance, but people within the organization, like a, only a small portion believes in it, mm-hmm. it's due to fail. And that's what a lot of organizations are doing right now. Well, They're I asking for those That's it. If I, if I can be frank in how I'm seeing, you know, I, there was a period where all you saw were DEI I jobs. Know. Um, and a lot of folks were getting jobs just because they were a person of color. And I remember having really deep conversations with friends about this where I'm so deeply interested in that, but I'm not certified in it. So, and I say certified because being a person of color is one part of DEI. There are so many microaggressions even towards LGBTQ plus IA that the the, the name keeps changing, so I don't want to be disrespectful, but that community or even how we interact English, French in Quebec. Like there's so many things that we're missing the mark on that I don't think it's fair for somebody to just be given a position because they're a person of color. And simultaneously, I've also seen some really interesting work be done by the dominant culture. And I'm not taken aback when I see somebody who is white in that role, because I also see how when, when that person specifically speaks, everybody was listening because they're able to have the tough conversation. 
like that to me was like the first time I really saw allyship was I was uh, listening in a conference and this middle-aged white man just started talking about you know everything that needed to be fixed and he wasn't wrong he was on mark but he was able to do it because he was a middle-aged white man yeah. and it wasn't defenses up right it was more so like how do we heal or how do we fix but if i said that or you said that it would be defenses up oh you uh, that's not what i meant you know like all of a sudden everyone would just be inflamed and that's the first time it really hit me about the human piece right mm -hmm. like it, it's so much more and it just gets my mind going because i'm also equally offended and affronted and upset and hurt by the amount of fake gimmicky roles Mm -hmm. and positions that are given in organizations yep um because it's just the quote-unquote the cool thing to do or the right thing to do or the trendy thing to do and yeah. so how do you vet which organizations now i know you said you really want to work with the companies that are going to really do the work but how do you vet if that's the real deal because i mean who your ceo is today can be gone tomorrow it's weird to say but it's true yeah and i mean you're not wrong and everything that you just said it's like it's something that we are with my colleagues in the field we're having big conversations about because as you said a lot of people will equate diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. with someone whose skin is not white or yeah. white passing right um and that was extremely problematic it's still problematic but a bit less than a couple of years ago right mm -hmm. where all you saw on panels on diversity were just uh oh yeah we're gonna take like that one asian token. or that one black you're being person. token yeah Correct. like yeah. in the organization uh, just to say that we did it right um and equally you had these management consultants who transformed into DNI consultant just because that was a trendy thing to do, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and that was and and that and that is a whole topic by itself where you have these people who we know don't have the experience will go on and and uh, and give these trainings to big companies, and those companies will listen to them because they are white, but they may do more harm because yeah. they don't know what they're talking about in terms yeah. of life experience so they, or they just didn't do the work because I work with white folks that are amazing mm -hmm. but it's because they're super vulnerable like that's the thing because I, I they did the work you, that's the thing Julie it bothers me so much because this is not about dividing us further right like it is really about finding a way to be harmonious and I think another maybe tangent is I think we're too politicized now as people mm -hmm. we are way too pc so folks are afraid to say just this is how i feel like no it's okay if you give me criticism at work you're not getting mad at the brown girl like tell me what your thoughts are oh oh you have to be careful because i'm a woman oh you have to be careful because i'm brown no is the work good i want your feedback on the work i feel and i'm just giving you an example right like i just feel we're we're a little bit too careful but we're not careful in the right way let me give you my analogy on it and how i explain it to people too okay so before if you look at it from like as a pendulum like before so there were a lot of inequalities but we didn't know mm. like what was going on or we just put blind blinders on and so we had just no freaking idea right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you know with 
the videos coming up, the murder of George Floyd that was recorded, Breonna the Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, yeah. everything got, like, you know, the world exploded. Magnified. Yeah. In yeah. The, not even magnified. It exploded in, like, you know, in the, in the, in the views of people who did not believe it or who, like, for who it yeah. was not a life experience. So now the pendant went to this all the way up to here. But in here, people are hyper emotional, mm -hmm. hypersensitive. And with all of that charge emotion, they don't know how to deal with it because we're in a, we're in an org, um, in a society that is very rational and we're not taught how to deal with our emotions, mm -hmm. let alone guilt, shame, sadness, anger, but also fear. joy, uh, fear, like joy, excitement. And we don't know how to cope with all of these emotions crashing into us. And then, so what a lot of people are going to do is that they're going to try to take the safe route. It's like, okay, I'm going to be kind of passive, but not really, but I'm not going to say anything. You're going to have people say, well, I don't want to talk about it because I don't know what to say. And I'm scared mm -hmm. of offending everyone. Right. Others will fall into what I call the guilt shame hole, where they're right. going to be literally going to that hole and, and just like almost like self-flagellating themselves, mm -hmm. right? Saying, oh, you know, my ancestor did this. Uh, oh my God, that's right. terrible. And just going into that cycle. So we're right here still. And the goal with, and that's, that's how I view my work. So it's pretty much psychology. But <laughs> how I view my work is to enable those conversations by giving those permission in those structured and brave circles where people can start to dare a little bit for what mm -hmm. is for them brave moves to start to have those conversations first amongst peers that may look like them and then after with the with like with, with a bigger group and just having those exchanges from a human perspective Mm -hmm. um, but, but and then after the pendulum can go back a little yeah, bit to the middle yeah. when we can have those conversations and not be so guarded by our identities. But to go from here to here, there's a slew of things that people need to do. They need right. to acknowledge the harm of the historical harm of the countries that they are in, maybe that their people from their family did. They need to understand also the power dynamics that is at play, the privilege, whether privilege dynamic does it at play, even though people don't like the word privilege. Right. Let's say, let's say advantages for people that are a bit iffy Isn't on that. that. so interesting you did that because I was in a work context a few months ago and the right word to use was white privilege. White supremacy, mm -hmm. excuse me. Yeah. And the folks who needed to use it were afraid to use it because of the, the, the sounds of it and the connotation. Now, this is interesting. I was very new in the role, so I didn't say anything. I'm looking because now this is also self-preservation. Yeah. I want to understand where we're headed. Yeah. And I understood why the folks in that situation were afraid to use the word because it sounds like dum dum dum. But then I, I very subtly said, but if it's the right word and we choose not to use it, then we're we're actually hurting the messaging we're trying to share. Yeah. And I just I just let it hang in the air because once again, I'm also trying to figure out my footing. And it got me thinking so much about self-preservation, momentary security, mm -hmm. organizational beliefs and belonging, yeah. understanding yourself in the situation and then just needing a paycheck so you can live your life, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it's such an interesting thing because we're all dealing with these thoughts all the time, 
but it's like grief and loss, let's say. Nobody talks about it. You're supposed uh, yeah. to go through something tough and show up at work the next day. Nobody's supposed to know, and we're all supposed to be good, and we're supposed to figure it out. Same thing with race and racism, microaggressions, and, and belonging. So I, I, I really commend you on the work you're doing because I don't envy it. <laughs> I can tell you this. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It, and it's perfectly fine. And I, I say that because I... I'm so connected to what it is you're saying, but I'm also so curious to know with your perspective of being a, a biracial woman, how you're received. Because this is my thought, being in Quebec, mm -hmm. the assumption is that you're Haitian. Um, that came from black folks, actually. Talk More so, that's, uh, that's a whole other topic, oh my God. Um, when I came back from Burkina Faso, the first thing that a lot of black folks would tell me was that when I was Haitian, and if I was not Haitian, it was like that puzzle look like, but what are you? Like mm -hmm. literally. And then when, when I would say that I'm Senegalese Canadian, they're like, oh, but you cannot be both. You have to choose one side. And okay. th that's a whole other conversation, right? But I think in the, in the context of my work per mm -hmm. se, I honestly think there's a couple of things that work in my favor. One, I have lighter skin. So I'm deemed less threatening. aggressive, threatening. Mm -hmm. My hair, depending on how I wear it, people won't even know where I come from, right? So if I wear my hair slicked back like that, but you don't see this, people have no idea. So it gives like, oh, okay, not sure. She could be just really, really tanned at this point. And I have quite Eurocentric feature. So people don't really know. And I speak French with a Quebec accent sometimes. So how does that make you feel? I think it's something that I had to navigate pretty much all my life. Of so course. it's almost like second nature. It's like, it's like code switching, but ingrained in your DNA type of thing, right? But yeah. I had personally had to do a lot of work when I was in my early 20s to really reconcile both sides so that mm -hmm. I didn't see, uh, so that I wouldn't say I'm half black, half white. Now yeah. I say I'm Senegalese Canadian and I am my whole being with everything that comes with it. Um, and the fact that my father, my father is a retired diplomat. So I was raised into the diplomatic world and the ways on how to diffuse situation and how to talk about topics that can be extremely incendiary. And that mm, helps me a lot in my work because my approach is really, it's not about giving it to your heart and, and really shocking you because I know for a fact that it does not work for people who are at the beginning of their the journey. journey. Yeah. Like yeah. first you need to give them the vocabulary so that they, they can actually, the definitions of their words so they can understand yeah. what diversity is, inclusion, what is white supremacy even because why people are so afraid of a lot of these words is because they get their education from Instagram, right? Yeah. Or yeah. from Facebook. Exactly. So if you start with something like that, then the you, level can, of it all. Correct. you can slightly heat up the conversation and at least people are brought into it in a softer way maybe yes in a softer way lasting, but something maybe. yeah and lasting and this is why i also started to do more coaching around that because yes i give trainings but at the end of the day do you remember trigonometry from high school yeah so that's my point so it's not because i give training that in six months that person is going to remember 
unless it was something very shocking. So with the coaching, what I want to do is to help people literally download the information and find ways on how they can keep on developing these skills to be able to have those hard conversations, to be able to navigate those hard emotions, to be able to relate and to get past for some folks, for example, past that shame, past that fear, that anger, mm -hmm. that guilt they may have it's that vulnerable. prevents them. Yeah, that prevents them from being vulnerable in front of other people. But that's that takes a lot of work and that's work that a lot of people are not willing or able to do. Yeah, it's, yeah. Un it's unfortunate because I feel that my our kin other folks that are also of the of the minorities are also so willing to do the work because we've always been doing the work yeah. it's really the buy-in from the dominant culture that really gets to be complicated and and looking for real allyship is really hard is really yeah. really hard um i know our time is flying so i just want to jump into <laughs> um to Jedi for a minute, because I love yeah. this this thought process and this process. So for somebody listening who has no idea what Jedi is, can you give us a like a quick overview of it? Of course. Well, it's the it's the perfect, perfect entry point whenever you talk to organizations because everybody knows Star Wars. So they're like, oh, Jedi, what is that? So Jedi stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Um, it's an acronym that's, that's used in some mm -hmm. places. Um, in the B Corp world, it is used quite heavily now. Um, and what what it, and why I really like it is because I always had issues with equity, diversity, and inclusion per se, because I find it that it puts all your thought process and your solution in a box. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It puts it puts it in a box, and then that's it. Once you did it, then check, check. mark, check, check, and that's it. When you introduce the concept of justice, then it gets wild because justice can be anything and everything that you want to be, and it addresses the roots of why you may need equitable processes in the first place. The way I define justice in my work is justice is when you don't need and you don't need me, for example. You don't need any of the processes because there would have been work done mm -hmm. to take away all the systemic barriers that prevent people from reaching the same outcomes, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there have been corrective measures applied right. as well to a point where the system can then operate in a just and fair way. But the thing with justice is that it takes a long, long time. And this is where I come to help to help gear Push organizations and individuals as well, by the way, on this Jedi journey. So coaching can also be with a Jedi. I was going to say mind trick. Oh my God. Because this is <laughs> That's why I stopped this one like Jedi. But no, with a Jedi mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And no, so exactly. I personally really connected with you when we spoke briefly before about Jedi kids. Yeah. Because we have an opportunity to help really create and foster special energy for and and realities and navigating real shit with our children so how do you practice that daily with your kids or is it something you can practice daily with your kids oh yes as soon as kids can talk and even before that i mean the first book that i read to my daughter was a is for activists so 
Me too. I, I mean, okay. it's it's a great book. Uh, she didn't understand the words, but I just always made sure that the books that I had at home were, yeah. were a good representation of the world, right? And I had to really apply it more when she started daycare, right? So for Jedi Kids, um, Jedi Kid is really my my baby. It's my passion project. Um, and this is why I have tons of children's books around the house uh, from different, like, that talks about pronouns, that talks about gender identity, that talks about uh, um, um, disability, that talks about racism, et cetera, a lot of different topics. Um, because what I, rec- what I realized and when I did more of my research is that you can talk to kids about anything and everything at any right. age, but there's just an age-appropriate vocabulary and depth to go into. And most of the time, I mean, people are like, okay, well, I need to diversify my bookshelf. I need to diversify my bookshelf. I'm like, okay, great. But what work did you do as a parent? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. kids are the best spies in the world, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So you can, you can read all the books that you want, but if you still have a reaction to saying, let's say a man with a turban walking, walking by or a trans woman um, or a drag queen or a black man coming, you lock the door, you do that little kids will know. Or if you're, uh, if you're not, that's how these things start to become seeped into them. Exactly. So as a parent, I always try to, to just embody the, model that I want my my children to reflect on. And that can look as little things. Like for example, not too long ago, my daughter um, said, oh, mommy, pink is for girls. Blue is for boys. That's why I like pink. I was like, well, darling, that's not true. Look, Mm -hmm. mommy is wearing blue. And look, like so-and-so is wearing pink. And same with my son. Or it can be for ear piercing. It can be for... um, clothes and anything or even like you know hair I had a hair discussion when my daughter when she was three years old where she told me that she was not beautiful because her hair was not beautiful and Mm -hmm. as a parent if you're not prepared yeah you're just gonna sweep it under the rug because you don't want to confront it but because I had done that work and I had done the work on myself well, yes, I had two books on the on the topics. So I was able to kind of quickly go and intervene. Have and reinforcement like, to the message. Yeah. yeah. So now my my daughter's like, my hair is magical. I'm like, exactly, darling. Your hair is magical. But I mean, she was three years old. Children will start to like to to show discriminatory behaviors at age two, and people don't realize that it mm-hmm. starts so early. And it's not that they're bad children is so that they just mimic their sponges and they're reflecting what they've seen yeah, yeah. They, they mimic what they see around them so for yeah. them if mommy and daddy seem to be uncomfortable or scared about something or someone then that must not be good that i don't want to approach it and i'm going to reject it so and there's also this whole thing about differences you know like stranger danger like where we show our children at a very early age mm-hmm. that differences is not a good thing right right so there's so there's a lot of conversation to be had as well in saying no differences is encouraged is great look at this person this person this person and you don't need to dive into okay well um you know i I don't know um 
the surgery to become a trans woman, etc., gender affirming no, uh, treatment. No, it's human first, right? It's, it. it's human first. And I mean, I have my, one of my daughter's favorite two books, actually, um, A Fairy Tale, where it's a knight and a prince, right? And it's little things like that. And at daycare, she has uh, some of her friends, like she has two friends, they're like twins, and they have two moms, right? So she's exposed to these things. So for her, it's it's normal and she sees my family. My father is white. My mother who passed away, well, she's she's black, but I show her pictures. She sees my half sisters, half brothers, they're black. And on my husband's side, they're Haitian. So, I mean, she sees and she asks me those questions already. But if I don't do the work on me, how am I gonna be able to comfort her? Exactly. I have a, a cute story to leave you with. So my yeah. daughter is two. And so, you know, she acknowledges auntie and uncle and things like this. And so whenever we would be driving and we'd stop the car at a red light, she'd be like, uncle or auntie. And it would be a stranger, but it would be a white person or a black person or an Indian person because she's just being exposed mm -hmm. to everyone in our circle as family, as love. And I mean, the joke in it is, I'm like, okay, we have to wheel it back a bit and make sure, like, the stranger deal, you're for real. Like, she's going to think everyone's family and go with anybody. But the reality of it was so touching because if you think about that, she's thinking, you know, this white man is my sister's husband. So that's who she's identifying. Or this exactly. black woman is my mother in law and that's who she's identifying. Or the brown woman is my sister. Like, it's, it's, it's such a really cool way for us to see how they're seeing the world through how we're showing them the world. And yep. at first I was a bit nervous living in, a, in like, a, you know, more of a, of a segregated area in the sense of like how much visibility to difference will she have because I'm not in a bigger city anymore, like I'm in a suburb. But it's such a beautiful reality where I'm like, oh my gosh, the only thing we did, girlfriend, was make sure she was in a diverse daycare. Yeah. And so, when I say, because I mean, that's the best we can do. I don't want her to be one of the only, because I grew up as one of the only, and we can do better than that now, right? We know we can do different things now. Yeah. So it it's so touching to me that not only have you found your thing, but you've made your thing your life's calling. And yeah. I just, I want to touch on the fact that these things happen when we least expect it. They happen when we're working towards it. They happen when we're asking for answers. They happen in so many different ways that for anybody listening just needs to tune into them and check in with them and then learn to launch, right? So your mm -hmm. business is flourishing. I feel like you're doing extremely well. Do you have any, um, I don't want to use the word regret, but do you have any, any, any moments where you're like, I didn't want to do this? I have a feeling, no. Uh, honestly, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that I, I, my only thing that I'm always a bit scared sometimes is, um, I wouldn't be scared, but that I'm very conscious of is how it became really trendy. Right. So I'm always thinking about ways to make sure that my business can evolve once the DNI trends are down. And that's why I'm orienting a lot of my work towards those conversations, those one on ones, those developmental plans for like individual and organizational mental plan, but really providing spaces for people to come together and to be able to have the conversation that we need to make sure that our systems mm -hmm. can change 
as well so that the tip can accordingly yeah yeah and but i think also the other very important key thing as i was listening to you is that you you need to have people around you that are willing to listen to you and to to help out and support you like jedi kids off the list of books on my like in notes on my mac that white friends white mom friends would just ask me like, oh what can i do to diversify the shows that i'm watching with my kids mm. the books and i would just copy paste it and this is how it started and then someone said hey maybe you should create an instagram page and then that was it so you need to have those people around you also that are cheering for you and mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. it may not be someone that is direct in direct contact with you, you most often one it's step not. further yeah, yeah most often it's one not. step further yeah so see like for us for example right like we're not directly we're not direct friends when we met but yet we still had some influence on yeah. each other's life right so yeah yeah absolutely and i want to thank you for your time and thank you. wish continued success but also my intention for your organization is to be able to move the needle and swing the pendulum to a place of deeper understanding for all of us collectively because um, it's wonderful for us to say it, but now I think we're also in a place for us to see it. And I'm really um, grateful you're doing the work. I implore you and I wish you nothing but success on your journey. And thank you for coming through and talking to me about what your work looks like. And um, when the show airs, you'll have all of your, sh like the, on the show notes, you'll have the link so people can connect with you mm -hmm. and, and continue with the good work. So thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And I'm always happy to have conversation on this topic. Um, and it doesn't, and maybe one last thing that I would say is that a lot of people, when they think about diversity, equity, inclusion, it's just think people that are not white. But mm. you need people that are white as well in the conversation. You need people from the dominant culture because most often they're not, as you said, they're going to be key to make sure that the needle is tipped. So I always welcome conversations from everybody, whether it's for kids or adults all alike. I just wish for everybody to be Jedi people. So. <laughs> Justice for all. I'm all in. I am. I really, really yes. am. Thank you so much, Julie. It was a Thank pleasure you. once again. My name is Zita. This is It's About Time. And we're talking to folks who are finding their it and making it happen. So thanks for joining me. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yes. Bye. All right.